Welcome to Pep Talks, Pepper Jam's affiliate marketing podcast that takes a deep dive into brands, unique partners, and industry experts. If you haven't yet, take a beat to subscribe to Pep Talks to automatically receive updates on our new episodes. Or better yet, fire off a review and tell us what you think. Your reviews help us to continue to get exciting guests like the one we have today. Joining us is Brooke Schaff, the CEO of Fermita Coupon. Brooke, thank you so much for being here with us. We really appreciate you taking this time out to chat with us about affiliate. Well, thank you for having me. Delighted to be here. Of course. Now, you have quite an impressive resume. I mean, you've been in this space, in the affiliate space, pretty much since the beginning. In fact, you were the co-founder of both Schaff, Partner-Centric, and of course, FMTC, and that was back in 2007. I think that gives you a unique experience level that allows you to have a rich insight into the space. All of the evolution and the changes that have taken place over that extensive amount of time. So how about we start there? We have talked to some other industry experts who likened the, the beginning or the olden days, if I can call it that, of affiliate as the wild, wild west. What do you think about that? Yeah, you know, it's funny, even back then, so I got my start in, in 2000 at a very young Zappos, and that phrase uh, got thrown a lot, around a lot. And in the sense of lawlessness or the remoteness of a sheriff, I think it was true. But it's also true in, or, or was true, I think, in two other senses. You know, one is you are sort of have an opportunity to homestead or stake a claim and make it big, which, of course, a lot of people did. And then another sense is a little bit more melancholy, which is, which I think you actually had back in the wild, wild west, is people kind of knew it was temporary and that the frontier would be settled, as, of course, it has been. There's always new, new frontiers, of course. But for affiliate marketing, I think people knew it was kind of a, there was a real belief that it was going to be something. It did turn out to be something, and it became established uh, relatively quickly. Mm-hmm. That's a very interesting take on it, that they they knew it was only going to be a temporary phase, so to speak, in the, in the wild, wild west. Rather than just being lawless land, uh, there was a sense of a, a temporal sense there. So that's a good take on it. Uh, so yeah. from your point, I was going to say, I think um, most people probably wouldn't um, take that angle, they would liken it to, you know, uh, a really negative connotation, if you will. So appreciate that perspective that it was, you know, embarking on a new frontier. Yeah, I, I honestly haven't looked at it from that, that angle myself. So that is a good, a good insight. So Brooke, from your sort of complete vantage point, what do you think are some of the more macro changes that you've seen take place in the industry since the time where you entered, uh, say, around the 2000 mark until now? You know, that's a great question. And I think that the biggest change, which, which might not be the expected answer, is not something around the technology, because the technology is, is sort of an improvement on what we had originally, but it's the legitimacy. You know, the channel is really fully emerged as a pillar of uh, online marketing, and it was even though a lot of the big brands got on board pretty quickly back then, it was always kind of the redheaded stepchild. And we had to sort of fight for that sense of legitimacy. And I think that we've essentially made it now um, with it being sort of accepted, not only by the um, major uh, brands or merchants that have the affiliate programs, but more and more on the publisher side too. That's actually a really good point. We um, have also used the analogy of the, of the stepchild, the redheaded stepchild. Um, yeah, so where does that I, come I think, from? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think I, I we could relate to that analogy in the nicest way possible. Uh, what do you think? What do you credit as the most pivotal 
change that helped its evolution? I think it really just comes down to, to time. You know, affiliate marketing has been kicked around a lot. Um, but as, as that old uh, watch slogan went, you know, we've taken a lick in and kept on ticking and, and really proven ourselves. And so uh, I think over, uh, over time, it's very clearly a, a channel that drives conversions, both on the lead side of the industry and on the retail side of the industry, which is what I kind of see the big uh, split as being. So if the proof of the pudding is, is in the eating, you know, affiliate marketing eats pretty well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, I would agree what, with that. Brooke, I'm just curious from your perspective and, and for the listeners here, how do you think that affiliate has been able to prove itself? Like what are some of the uh, defining characteristics of proving it as a primary channel in the mix? Because I know that there are, are still even a lot of naysayers today who, you know, uh, give the channel some side eye and don't necessarily see it in the same light. You know, I've got a little bit of a sort of an informal conspiracy theory for you here. When I was <laughs> working in, in San Francisco back in the day, I would go to a lot of digital marketing kind of events and some of those were affiliate and some of those were not. And I remember going to one where there was a panel and it was sort of display advertising guys it was what we were programmatic, what we call it today. And I said, well, you know, I was a big evangelist for affiliate too. And I, so my question was something like, well, what about affiliate? Cause it hadn't been mentioned. And, and some guy on the panel, I don't remember who it was, but he had just total contempt and disdain for affiliate. And he said, you know, back in the day, I used to be able to buy, a slot on cable news that was performance-based based on the number of, I don't know, 800 calls that went in or something. And that was the bottom of the barrel, garbage advertising. And that's what affiliate marketing is. And I think that that really reflected the attitude that still exists today. And where I think this kind of comes from conspiracy-wise is, you know, the adver advertising was very well-established channel, you know, going back many decades, Mad Men and all that. And those are a lot of dollars flowed through that. And so if, as there's this sort of big transfer to online came about where you can really track for direct marketing, right? So the direct response versus sort of the branding is, is kind of a classic bifurcation. Then the um, sort of branding guys as they move online are going to look at a, a, a scans, I think, at a channel that would really have a level of accountability that doesn't exist elsewhere. So stepping away from affiliate, there's a famous story where I think it was the Comcast CEO went into the Google offices early uh, and said, you guys are, are effing with the magic of you know them earning tens of billions of dollars off these television ads versus the uh, highly accountable uh, Google uh, paid AdWords. I think they just launched it at that time. And so I think there's been a lot of naysaying from basically rival channels that have sort of talked down affiliate, really highlighted um, some of the uh, senior sides of the, the industry of the channel, which to be fair, uh, do exist. But if mm -hmm. we are going to start slinging mud, I think affiliate has a whole lot more mud to sling at the other channels than those channels do at affiliate, especially because there's so much control over affiliate. And so if you go away from affiliate, um, I think that you're going to basically be leaving money on the table as an advertiser. I agree yeah. with you wholeheartedly, especially in times like now where marketers are being forced to evaluate um, where they allocate spend. And it's just a constant shift of spend given uh, the ebbs and flows uh, across not only e-commerce, but retail sales in general. Affiliate is one of those channels that is um, you know, a bright spot. Uh, because mm -hmm. of its model, right? You're only investing when uh, a conversion or a lead actually takes place. Whereas with other channels, you're having to make significant upfront investment 
um, or pay on an access-based model. So I agree with you. I think that um, affiliate has so much to offer, especially in times like now. Oh, yeah. You have so much control as the advertiser. You control what gets reconciled. You control the rates that you're willing to pay. Uh, you have total visibility as much as you're willing to implement on the, on the back end. Yeah. Brooke, I'm curious to know now when we see all of the, um, the partner players that are in the space, do you think that the sort of rise or the surge of, of content partners coming to the table in affiliate, did you see that coming uh, and do you think that that plays a role in sort of reshaping or or redefining any stigmas that marketers might still have? Yeah, that is just a great topic. I remember everyone being very excited when a lot of these big content guys got into the game some years ago. And you guys actually had a great uh, podcast with, um, I think it was Emily from Condé Nast on on how that got rolled, um, rolled out. Mm-hmm. And that... I, I actually posted a piece recently on LinkedIn about, you know, if all links will be affiliate links in, in the future. And so the surge, I think, is very, in a sense, very natural. Um, you know, one, if the content's already there, um, you can monetize very effectively with affiliate because, you know, the content's going to be very close to something that could be purchased, right? It could be a vacation. All the travel's down right now, of course, um, but it could certainly be any number of products. And so you have, um, I think content comes goes into at least a couple of different groups, right? So you got all the Condé Nast and the, the BuzzFeeds and, and the whatnots, uh, and they do a lot of listicle, best of reviews, et cetera. Uh, and then there's other guys, but it's sort of, it's more native to their original content. And then you have like some arbitrage guys, like um, uh, sort of like, you know, consumer reviews, uh, 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 highlights mm-hmm. uh, kind of thing. And as long as those guys are kind of being compliant with the guidelines, and as far as I know, they all uh, tend to be, um, uh, there's a really good, you're basically, the content has to be paid for, right? And so that's a really mm-hmm. good way of paying for that content. And of course, it can just be one layer of the monetization. You can still run ads adjacent to it, but the click through usually signals such intent to purchase that it's almost foolish of the site not to monetize that as an affiliate link. And you know, I think it's worth noting that the, the um, so-named Chinese wall between the advertising and the editorial can be uh, retained with really uh, good fidelity by these sites. So I, I know that Wirecutter uh, from the New York Times takes a lot of pride in this. And perhaps the best example actually is Consumer Reports, which is, you know, mm-hmm. a longtime nonprofit that does independent review, fully independent reviews. Um, but then also once that's posted, can easily um, post a link to, you know, a place to buy it. Um, unfortunately, usually Amazon, but also to other properties, which is something FMDC is trying to help with. And, um, you're really doing also the user, uh, the the visitor a huge service because, uh, you're reducing the friction that they have to go out and and make that purchase. And so I, I think there's a hugely exciting, uh, feature for this, um, as it makes, it becomes easier and easier for these content sites to link to affiliate link, which is already a service to their user. And, um, there's the required disclosure around that, um, the mm-hmm. breadth and depth that we have, you know, breadth being the number of sites that we have doing this and the depth being the number of merchants that they can link to, um, should just be, you know, a tremendous growth in coming years. Yeah. So from Brooke, based on that, from your perspective, do you think that we it might be an obvious question perhaps, but do you think that content will start to contribute more so to the uh, composition of traffic and revenue within affiliate programs than it has in years prior? 
Gosh, that's a good question. You know, the the, the, the typical contrast would be like you got the content guys, then you got the deal reward guys, and, and those will be segmented differently sometimes. We don't see the reporting on the back end, um, you know, because we just typically deliver the content. We do have a partnership with uh, Trackonomics, which is a reporting company, but the rule of thumb is that we don't uh, see that data. Um, we do keep track of industry trends pretty closely, as, as you can imagine, and um, a lot of uh, content gets published around the breakdowns. So it seems the content has really um, on the map in a way that it was not, like, say, seven years ago or even like th three years ago. And it seems to me that that proportion is likely to kind of continue growing. But you do also have sort of more, I think, um, kind of novel uh, publishers entering the space, you know. We've talked to um, a couple of browsers recently. So, you know, Chrome is actually based on open source code that Google uh, provided. And um, so you have a number of browsers out there. They're not really on the radar for most people, but, you know, they, they could have hundreds of thousands, millions of users. And Brave actually got in trouble mm -hmm. recently because they, without disclosure, posted some affiliate links. Um, but Bing, um, you know, uh, has partnerships with uh, with uh, deal sites. Uh, that content's not coming from FMTC, but... Um, this kind of direction, I think, is is the way to go where somebody has eyeballs and, of course, it could be an app as well. Um, and so somebody has the eyeballs and then somebody might leave that content page, whether that's deal content or, or you know, like um, review content or whatever, um, then that content is in a really good position to be monetized. And I think that um, we're going to see a lot more people continue to kind of go in that direction. And so I think we'll see a fracturing of the category, maybe not quite a fracturing, but I think we'll see more novel categories kind of come in. Um, and then the merchants will have an opportunity to negotiate with these partners if they want to work with them um, in new ways. And I think they'll have a strong incentive to work with them because, you know, otherwise the risk is always that the dollars go to Amazon. Yep. Right. So do you think that the, these, the sort of these new content partners coming in make it more attractive for, say, a merchant who or a merchant type maybe who wasn't a major player in the affiliate space before and now they're sort of giving it, giving it a, a hard second look? That's my hope, um, certainly, uh, as you know, a player in the space. Um, but I think that they, you know, those programs typically are out there. You know, sometimes you have programs. We have in FMTC a category of like, um, you know, sort of like very restricted programs. And we're, we'll work mm -hmm. closely with the merchants in terms of like who is allowed to, you know, access their deal or their product data. Um, and those programs tend to be out there. They're sometimes like secret or, or not widely widely populated. So my hope would be one, that those merchants are uh, willing to put more dollars into the channel, uh, which could mm -hmm. be in the form of, you know, the commissions, the paid placements, uh, you know, new customer bonuses. Uh, those are pretty typical examples. Uh, and then be working to willing to work with a wider number of partners. So I guess that's a lot of work for them. And so you need the opportunity to sort of be shining uh, for them to be drawn to it. Um, and I think that, you know, it's only going to look better uh, in the future. Um, so I think that is going to draw, it's, I don't think it's so much about drawing more people into it as it is about, uh, drawing more, um, uh, engagement from the advertisers. Yeah, sure. That's a good way to say that. So Brooke, we, we've talked a little bit about like, uh, perceptions as it relates to affiliate marketing and just, you know, your unique perspective, having been in the space for so long, but why don't we pivot and talk about, uh, for me to coupon, um, a little bit and lend some insight to the to the audience here. So for me to coupon specializes in aggregating affiliate content and makes it available to affiliates, publishers, bloggers through a, a series of services and tools. Um, why don't you tell the audience a little bit about for me to coupon? Um, because I know based on my conversations with brands, 
um, in the past, sometimes there tends to be a little bit of confusion around specifically the value that Formita Coupon provides within the industry. So why don't you use this opportunity to level set? So FMDC can be regarded as a data layer in the affiliate space. We uh, pull uh, almost 14,000 merchants into our feed. And then the value add that we have for, for these deals, we have deal feeds and we have product feeds. And for the deal feeds, you can, and for the products too, frankly, you can sort of think of it like unfiltered water. Um, you don't really want to serve that to your users, being you know the end consumers that like would, would, would be on a deal or a coupon site, because it's going to be a bad user experience. The code like might be uh, have a garbage description. Um, the deal code might not work. It might go to a bad landing page. And so using software and human processes, we validate all of those deals and then pass along to our customers who are enterprise subscribers. So what they buy from us is a uh, deal feed, and we're active in uh, the major English-speaking markets around the world, so the U.S., Canada, U.K., Australia. And then we also have a product feed. Uh, that's a product that's in beta, but we've been doing it some months with some success. We have a couple thousand merchants in there right now. We also do sort of a similar cleanup of the products. And then a couple um, other offerings out there that are meaningful. So one is custom content. So if you're a site that has uh, SEO needs, we can custom write deals for you. It's guaranteed to be unique content. And then along with our product feed matching, what we have that's relatively new is we can match against uh, Amazon product IDs. So if you send us a list of Amazon product pages, we will find those products on uh, other merchants from across the affiliate ecosystem and send that list to you so you don't have to send your customers just to uh, one destination. That's an amazing product, especially these days for brands who are whose sole competitor is Amazon. So I think that's uh, an amazing value that that Formita Coupon provides. Yeah, yeah. thanks. We're, we're 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 also hoping to support the merchants. So we have a premium merchant offering uh, that will get the merchants expedited deal processing and promotions to you know our newsletter uh, on our social media, etc. And then we've also just launched um, a couple of cool new products. So one for merchants is. Uh, a product that allows you to send deals to any affiliate you want, not just an FMTC existing subscriber. So you can go into the back end, generate an API key, and then any deals that you want will kind of go through there. We're actually also um, beta testing right now, or sorry, not beta testing, alpha, pre-alpha testing, um, uh, direct cart integrations um, uh, with merchants. Uh, that looks promising for the future. So we'll see how that goes. And then we announced a browser extension this week. We're just waiting for Google to approve it, that if you're surfing around the web in Chrome or one of those uh, Chromium browsers, um, you can mm -hmm. see if the website that you're on is in our directory. Uh, and we have a directory that lists all the, you know, um, uh, all the information you want to know about the program that's available, um, which is very helpful for you know, when you're sort of shopping around programs as a publisher. That's super fascinating. and. It's very uh, cutting edge. I I see that from your explanation, it, it helps to clear up exactly what the what the value is. I think sort of a solution provider for publishers, ultimately brands, uh, within that sort of deal database. So I just want to shift gears a little bit, Brooke, and I want to get your view on how you think the affiliate technology provider or that solution landscape uh, specifically looks like right now like who the major players are you know who's winning is anybody winning um how do you do that what do you think about the affiliate technology provider landscape you know it's a pretty small space so 
FMTC uh, plays the deal game and um, it's a very niche space, which is great for us because there's not much in the way of competition. Um, but there's also a limited number of, you know, enterprise deal and reward sites out there, um, which is one reason we're launching new products. You've also got um, some of the reporting guys out there. So I mentioned Trackonomics earlier. There's also Affluence. Uh, there's a company called Affwise or uh, Afjet, um, uh, I think out of the UK. So a few of those guys, um, you got some compliance guys. I don't think I knew that whole landscape because a lot of them play really on the um, uh, on the uh, lead side of things more so. Um, you got um, some also in the compliance space, but more on the retail side of things is companies like um, Brand Verity, which recently got acquired, of course. Uh, but they've been they actually got started around the same time as uh, FMTC, um, mm-hmm. and they'll do like the sort of like the trademark monitoring and things. So I don't want to sell myself short, but, uh, you know, I think the companies in this space that I see, we're all kind of chugging along. We're all providing pretty good value because any of these companies are pretty much offering a solution that, that more or less could be developed in house, uh, or done manually, but it's kind of at a great cost and great headache. And so, um, you know, I think it's really natural when, at least when you reach a certain size to kind of work with, uh, one of these vendors. And then of course the biggest, you know, technology companies are companies like pepper jam, you know, cause you guys, um, power the most important things, right? Like, you know, the, the, all the tracking uh, and then the payments and then having the network of the publishers, you know, the, the, the marketplace to, to kind of go to. That's a great view. And I think uh, a lot of great examples there of all of the players within the affiliate marketing category. Mm-hmm. Uh, one, one angle I wanted to ask you about as it relates to uh, players in the category is on the service side. So obviously, you know, um, you have a history on the agency side of the business and affiliates a little bit unique because um, there are these uh, what we call OPMs or outsourced program management companies, which are essentially boutique um, agencies that predominantly provide affiliate marketing management as their core solution. So it, it, it's different than, say, a, a more traditional holding company. Uh, that provides agency services across the digital mix. I think the two are radically different um, just based on the services they provide. So I'm just curious from your perspective, like um, how do you see those players fitting into the affiliate marketing category? Um, Do you think the boutique OPMs are here to stay? What's sort of your viewpoint? Well, these guys are near and dear to my heart as I used to have an an agency myself for for a number of years. So here to stay, I think the answer to that is yes. You know, I think the agencies, um, you know, definitely are working with, say, less data than, than Pepper Jam has. Um, but they're, I think they seem to be a pretty permanent part of uh, kind of any ecosystem um, within, say, Pepper Jam or the tracking platform. There's a lot of ins and outs. And so you need somebody who can kind of configure that correctly. And then you need somebody to actually do the work. And that's one thing that's easy to overlook. And um, this is not unique to affiliate, but there are a lot of hours that go into the proper management of any program. And then in affiliate, you know, you also have this special aspect where relationships are really important. Now, you know, you're going to have relationships, I'm sure, in programmatic advertising, um, uh, and you might have a rep at, you know, Google or Facebook, but those command and control systems, I think, are really a lot different than being able to kind of talk through different possibilities, um, you know, get placement where like another merchant might not be able to get that placement, really kind of understanding everything that's out there. And so those companies can be a really suitable fit for a lot of merchants. Um, I would actually be inclined to sort of steer um, the average merchant towards some kind of uh, managed services. Um, 
unless they have somebody who's really good in house because, and we actually see this ourselves, right? So we send out emails all the time when the deals don't work and we often don't get responses. We did these updates on all the uh, COVID uh, statuses from all these uh, programs. So we actually read all the newsletters and then when something pops up, we send an inquiry and say, hey, we heard that like there's been a decrease in the commissions or something else has happened and hundreds of merchants don't get back to us. So, you know, nobody seems to be um, manning the wheel there, which is not a good thing for any merchant program. Maybe you'd almost be better off not having a program. So um, a typical agency is probably going to be competent to, to sort of like uh, um, help that. Um, an in-house program manager can be great, of course. I used to be in-house myself many years ago. Um, and so I think that that's something that a typical uh, merchant should look at uh, sort of pretty seriously. And it's also worth mentioning too, finally, that the uh, managed services can work very closely with sort of in-house people. So we often had, uh, when I had an agency, uh, somebody was very high up, kind of like a director role, and they would have a personal relationship uh, prudently with like, you know, the top three, five affiliates, whatever it is, um, uh, because the, you know, those relationships were really critical to the, the company's uh, advertising channel. Um, and then all the heavy lifting gets done by the agency. Right. You bring up some great points. And I heard you say a few times um, that at one point you were in-house and, you know, there are some brands that have an in-house expert uh, versus, you know, outsourced support. Um, do you think that as affiliate marketing as a channel grows in prominence that we'll start to see more in-house affiliate experts on the brand side? That is an interesting question. Um, I don't know that we will. You know, there's there's the idea that partnerships are, are um, more important, but, you know, partnership is such a, a vague term. You know, any number of things could be described as, as a partnership and it usually doesn't have like a, a legal uh, sort of a formal uh, meaning. Um, so I think it's probably higher on the um, sort of, you know, chief executives uh, radar, like the, the, the CMO. Uh, in terms of um, somebody who inside the company really has a strong feel for affiliate, that sort of still, from my vantage point, feels like catch as catch can, because there's only so many people who can do that. A lot of them work for agencies. Some of them are definitely uh, in-house. Uh, some of them drift in and out of affiliate marketing. Um, and so what I would think we would actually really hope for sort of as affiliate marketers would be somebody who not only sort of has an appreciation for the channel and what it can do, but who can really push through budgets not so much in terms of like the commission dollars, but in terms of the uh, technology investment. Because one thing that we had, which I think still goes on today, uh, is an agency where we have would have complaints about this and that. And we would say, well, look, there's a technical solution. You'd have to invest in that technical solution. And uh, that would be a, a very slow boat um, if it ever got there at all. And so I think that um, it is the sort of prominence increases you need somebody who knows what they're doing, but also cares enough to do it. Um, and you, I think you see that a little bit more with the sort of like the programmatic stuff, which are much bigger dollars. But, you know, when you look at studies of the programmatic stuff, it seems like a lot of those dollars really just kind of disappear into the sand. Um, and so sure. it really kind of makes you wonder who, who's, you know, who's running things at the end of the day. Yeah, affiliates definitely not set it and forget it, or at least shouldn't be viewed that way. Right. That's a good point. Rook, I'd like to circle a little bit back over to FMTC, specifically uh, in sort of the, the work that you do with, with publisher partners. Do you find that there is some special sauce, some secret recipe to that sort of works um, 
you know, to, to rise to whatever needs that the partner has. Are there challenges? Are there, there macro challenges that publishers seem to face, um, you know, representative to, to everyone? Um, and then after that, I want to know if, if there are, who you think are some of the publishers or publisher types who are doing the most interesting work right now in the space. Yeah. So, um, sorry, give me, give me the first question again. First question would be, do you find that there's any sort of secret sauce when you're working with partners or you're working with publishers is, do you find they have the same challenges or the challenges differ? Um, you know, like what are the biggest challenges that publishers face that you, you hear about most often? So the two things that I think every publisher really needs to have um, that they can't outsource um, or would struggle to is one, they got to have customers or some kind of traffic base. And it's very, there's a huge diversity in the number, in the kinds of traffic people get, right? So some people play the SEO game. Some people are really good at buying traffic. Some people run it through Facebook communities. Some people have uh, some other community, like, you know, pool of people who are um, employee shoppers or or insurance companies. And we have all these guys as, as customers. And then the other thing that maybe you don't need this, but I, I swear I see it with every single successful publisher is strong business development. You know, somebody go out there, negotiate the commission rates, maybe do some kind of co-branding stuff, get better deals because, you know, our system supports custom deals and vanity codes and the like. Um, maybe there's, you know, landing pages, things like that. But to really like cultivate that relationship, um, you know, for us, you know, the deal content, clearly you can get that from FMTC. Um, a lot of the sort of infrastructure, um, you know, there's definitely some things are sort of better than, uh, other things, but if you have mm-hmm. like, you know, a browser extension, like a honey, um, what really impressed me about that actually, wasn't that they built the browser extension was, but that they got the permission to put all those merchants in the browser extension. I mean, to me, that was a rabbit pulled out of a hat after, you know, so many years of those being sort of day class A. So, and I would contribute that mm-hmm. to some kind of business development that they, uh, they were doing. So business development, I think, and um, um, just really having the, um, um, yeah. yeah, getting those two things in there. Perfect. So you you clearly know your stuff when it comes to affiliate living in this in this space for so long. I'm curious to see if you could sort of bottle up um, one piece of advice that you would give to marketers where it pertains to affiliate marketing now. Uh, what would it be? Oh gosh, I think it kind of be an echo. You know, they got to have customers, and they got to do sort of like the business development, and you know, target your niche. Probably have some passion for your niche. Um, you know, some of the more interesting affiliates out there, I think, are doing a lot of the content and the review stuff. Um, like if you look at what Fire is doing, they're doing some pretty interesting stuff. It gets pretty good scale, uh, and, and they're pretty good to work with. And there's a lot of sort of like side deals that some of the affiliates are are cutting as well. Um, so it's a huge, you know, it's a huge opportunity. You know, whenever I search for sort of like a, kind of a given product and I try and poke about quite a bit, um, I definitely get um, a lot of best of lists. Like, you know, I have chickens that I keep. So best like chicken supplies. Those are totally affiliate monetized sites. And those dollars also keep those sites operating uh, pretty well. All right, great. Well, thank you so much for that. Um, where, tell me, uh, where do you see affiliate in five years? real quick synopsis of where it's going to be. I'm hoping, you know, the breadth and depth, uh, you know, that, that affiliate is as many places as it potentially could be. I think that also it's worth noting that consumers seem pretty comfortable with affiliate. 
uh, one of the sites I was mentioning that does like the sort of the, the reviews um, put up a, basically the like a cigarette style disclaimer like this, you know, <laughs> these links are all monetized uh, and uh, they didn't notice any sort of downtick and uh, like the purchase activity going through their site. So mm-hmm. that kind of thing I think is really uh, encouraging. And I think that, you know, when we pull in like content articles, we, we often get false positives because it's um, something like SFGate or a newspaper that um, has a little disclaimer that these might be affiliate links. Sometimes there are mm-hmm. no links on the page, but if you just put that on all your pages, then you're covered. Um, and so hopefully everybody who might be using affiliate will be using affiliate in the future. And, you know, we're going to have companies that we've never heard of. Some of the ones that we have today will be gone. Uh, the publisher market, you know, sees people come and go pretty actively. Yeah, that's a very, very good point. And I, I would agree with that, uh, that forecast or that, that outlook. Brooke, thank you so much for joining us. I feel like we could probably go on and on with more questions, um, but that was, a, that was a great conversation. And I want to give you an opportunity to let people know where they can find you. Thank you. Yeah, so we're just fmpc.co, not .com. And uh, you can also reach out to me on LinkedIn. Wonderful. Well, thank you so much. Uh, we're just chatting with Brooke Schaff, who's the CEO at FMTC. Uh, again, you were joined by Mars Smith, CMO at Pepper Jam, and Chrissy Kemmerer, content strategist with Pepper Jam. And we hope to see you next time on Pep Talks. We just spoke with Brooke Schaff, CEO at FMTC, about how affiliate marketing has really proved its value as a strong performance-based channel, driving conversions, increasing spend control, and bringing results for marketers everywhere. You can check out the full podcast, plus many more, by visiting us at pepperjam.com slash podcasts.